Good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, Let's turn together to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Next Sunday is uh, Pentecost Sunday, which on the church calendar means that uh, churches that follow the church calendar all over the globe will be talking about uh, what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so what we're going to do is kind of blow that out just a little bit into a four-week sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I said this last week, I'll probably say it the next few weeks. If as we're talking about it and you're thinking about it, as you have questions that come up, please email, email those to me and I'll try to work them into various stages of this series as we go. Um, this morning is just going to be really some foundational stuff for us. Uh, before we can get into some of the, the things that everybody wants to talk about, like uh, miracle gifts, you know, and some of those kinds of things. Before we get to that stuff, which will be probably the last week, uh, we really need to have some foundational ideas in place. And so I want to bring, bring to us two, two ideas that are a part of the foundation of understanding as best we can uh, the, uh, the significance of what the, Holy, what the Holy Spirit does and who the Holy Spirit is. So, two big ideas. The first one, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the first one is that the Holy Spirit is God. Now, when I say the Holy Spirit, what should pop into our minds is probably a bunch of things. One of them should be, oh, God, that's what you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> in order to understand what that means, we really have to, to spend a little bit of time uh, thinking about and trying to understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Now I'm going to try to take like 10 or 15 minutes to explain the Trinity to you, and uh, which implies that I understand the Trinity, which is not true, and or that anyone really can. There's there it, there's this incredible mystery behind this doctrine, um, and volumes and volumes have been written on this, and people far more qualified than I have taught on it. And so a 10 or 15 minute summary is not going to get it done necessarily, but it still needs to happen. So I'm going to try. Um, when in talking before we can talk about the Holy Spirit, we really need to understand God and how, like, how, what the Bible teaches us about God. And um, if you were to take a theology book uh, of any sort and you were to go to the chapter on Trinity, there, the like theologians basically have pulled together a, a group of ideas, and every theologian will communicate these things a little bit differently. But these are the major components of what, of what we understand the Trinity to be. Um, it's a, basically a sentence that I'll break into three statements. Okay, First statement is that there is one God. Second statement is that uh, this one God has e- eternally existed as three distinct persons. Father, Son, Spirit. Third statement is that each of these persons is fully and equally God. Okay? One God, three persons, all of them equally and fully God. So let me, let me go a little bit into depth, in the, more depth into each one of those. Um, the first thing, that there's one God, uh, this, is, this is a foundational idea that when God um, pulled uh, Israel out of slavery and began to establish them as his people, this is what is he ingrained in them above, uh, above all else. This is their foundational verse, uh, set of verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Okay? Israel, surrounded by polytheistic nations, for hundreds of years have been enslaved in Egypt, which is notorious for having bunches of gods. Um, God pulls them out and he says, here's, here's what you need to know about being my people, uh, is that I am your God and there's only one of me. There's only one real God. Gods of Egypt, they're all fake. So they worship the sun, they worship the mountains, they worship the river, they worship the Pharaoh. None of that stuff is real. Here, here's what's real and what's true. Uh, there's one God. And here's how you relate to that one God. Is you, you love him. And he loves you. All that fear-based, uh, polytheistic culture that you come from, being terrified of what might happen if the sun god gets angry or if the river god gets angry. That's not what we're dealing with. This is a one god situation, and the defining uh, quality of that relationship is going to be love. So, uh, there's, there's one god. We could also put up verses from other parts of the Bible. We could put up... Things in Romans 3, 1 Timothy 2, James 2, Matthew 28, Isaiah 45 or 44. It's, it's, it's all these places. It's not the only place in the Bible that's there. But it's definitely the one that was most ingrained right from the beginning. There's one God. Now, the second statement is that that one God eternally exists in three distinct persons. He eternally exists in three distinct persons. So let's start with the distinct persons part of it. In Mark chapter 1, uh, in the baptism of Jesus, okay, try to get a, try to get a visual for this snapshot here. Uh, in 9 through 11, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Okay, what's the picture look like? You got Jesus coming up out of the water. You have the spirit in the form of a dove descending on him. Then you have a voice from heaven off camera, you know, a voice speaking. Uh, the father. So you have the father, you have the, son, the spirit, you have the son. Um, three distinct persons. We see it there. We see it uh, in John 14 as Jesus is preparing to transition uh, uh, through through the like cross resurrection ascension uh, pathway. He tells them this. He says, "The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you." So Jesus is is speaking of three distinct persons. He's talking to them. He says, the Father is going to send the Spirit. Okay, one, two, three. Three distinct persons. Um, we could also look in Genesis 1 or in Jude or in 2 Corinthians 13 or Revelation 1 or 1 Peter 1 or John 1 or John 14 or John 17. It's, it's everywhere. Okay, um, Three distinct persons. It's very important in that sentence to say that they eternally existed. So it isn't that, like, if you look at the Bible, you have, like, Old Testament and then the Gospels and then, like, uh, then the church 
you know, the, the Pentecost forward. It's, it's not that, that, that God the Father existed and then he created the Son for the Gospels and then they, they created the Spirit for Acts and, and onward. All the way back to the very beginning, when it's time to create man in, in God's image, the text says, uh, let us create him in our image. So we may not see Jesus in flesh and blood until the Gospels start in the timeline, but Jesus existed in the beginning, just like the Father existed in the beginning, just like the Spirit existed in the beginning. And so the Spirit is not a, is not a created uh, part of God. It's not something that God created. It's The Holy Spirit is God. It's always existed, always been there, right from the beginning. They're also not the same as one another. So when we just say when, I, when it says a distinct person, the Father is not the same as the Son, who's not the same as the Spirit. There's a distinction between them, and the further we get into the next couple of weeks, we'll we'll focus obviously on the distinction part of the Holy Spirit, but a part of that will be also talking about the distinction of the Son and the, and the Father. And so um, they have eternally existed, uh, but they are not the same as one another. They're, they're different from one another. Then you get to the third point. They're fully and equally God. The Father is 100% God. The Son, 100% God. The Spirit, 100% God. That there is, there is equality there in terms of deity, but it doesn't mean that they're the same. That's kind of hard for us to really wrap our minds around sometimes, but, um, but that's what the scriptures teach. We could go through. We could go through scriptures. We go through, um, like in John twenty, it talks about. That's where uh, one of the many places about the the Father being one hundred percent God, and that's not really all that disputed. You go into Colossians two, and you can see uh, talking about Jesus being fully God, and and that's that's. I think we can get on board with that. For a lot of folks, it's the Holy Spirit. That's him. Him being fully God. That's the one that's kind of hard to track with sometimes. Because there is a mystery to the Holy Spirit, which I'll get to in a little bit. But it's crucial that for us and our understanding of things that we understand the like one hundred percent deity of the Spirit. And so let me dive a little bit a little bit into that m- more. Um, here's a couple of different examples of why where the, where this comes from. Um, First of all, in Matthew 28, verse 19, notice, notice how they are listed in equal standing. The Great Commission, Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That when we, when, when we see each, each of the uh, members of the Trinity listed, there's, there's always equality there. They're all listed together in being on equal standing. Um, in Acts 5, there's this story of, of Ananias and Sapphira and this this like uh, weird um, real estate deal that they did. And um, notice notice what, what Peter says to them in terms of equally... Uh, he, he says, to lie to the Spirit is to lie to God. This is, this is how he says it more specifically. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? 
You've not lied to man, but to God. So he starts off, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, and then he concludes, you've lied to God, equating those things, not saying that they are different, saying that they're actually the same. Um, In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says that that the Spirit knows the mind of God. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And one more, in, in Psalm 139, omnipresence and omniscience, those are, those are divine attributes that are, that are only God's. He doesn't share those with us. And uh, this is what it says in 7 and 8. David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. See, the Spirit has the divine attributes that are only for God. These are just a few of, of the places where we could go to talk about the divinity of the Spirit. And so I, I know that's kind of like, man, that's a lot that you throw at us at one time. But let me just give you, let me give you the sentence. There's one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons who are each fully and equally God. Father, Son, Spirit, equal, different from one another, but all 100% God. And so when, when, we, when we're reading something and it references the Holy Spirit, when we sing something about the Holy Spirit, when someone says something, when we're praying, when we hear it, a part of what should register with us is God. Just like when we say the Father or the Son, to say the Spirit, a part of what should come to mind is, oh yeah, God. Um, there sometimes tends to be a little bit of, uh, like the Holy Spirit is sort of like an afterthought or maybe like not quite as, as God as them. Um, like there's some sort of hierarchy, you know, that the Father, the Father's like the varsity, uh, God, you know, and the Son was JV, but then he did really great. And so they like put him on the varsity team and then the spirit is like freshman, like maybe the future, maybe, you know, but like, uh, freshman ball, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, that, that sometimes is, is what people naturally think because there is such an emphasis on the father and the son, especially in Baptist churches, you know, like I'm, I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, I grew up at, at Zor Baptist Church, and there's some Zor alums out there, uh, and tons of foundational stuff in terms of of, of Jesus and salvation and who He is, and uh, good Old Testament foundation, that kind of stuff. That that's what I remember learning there. Um, my uh, one set of grandparents, uh, when they were long time members of Faith Baptist Church on Plank Road. And, uh, that place, uh, you'd walk in there and you could feel the spirit of God moving and, uh, same, same thing, tons of emphasis on Jesus and, uh, and, and all that. And I had another set of grandparents who, who were at Bethany. And so whenever we go to church with them, there was like this, all this terminology that was different to me. Uh, and they would talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, but they wouldn't say Holy Spirit. What would they say? Holy Ghost, that's right. And Ghost got my attention. I'm not gonna lie. As a kid, I'm like, "What's this Ghost talking about?" Uh, and uh, 
But yeah, they would lots of talk about the Holy Spirit, singing songs, like asking the Spirit to to move and to fall and uh, for for Him to rain down and to bring the fire again and all this kind of stuff. It was like a whole different set of terminology. Uh, and it, it isn't to say that my Baptist upbringing never talked about the Holy Spirit or to say that when I would go to that more charismatic church, they never talked about Jesus or the Old Testament. It just seemed like there was a different kind of emphasis. And so I, I feel like I came away kind of like having like a good, kind of like a good spectrum of, of understanding. Uh, I'm very grateful for all, for all the sources that God used to bring my way. Um, but it does feel like there is sometimes uh, just not a lot of like emphasis on the role of the Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and 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 what is really cool about the Trinity is that the Holy Spirit is fine with it. The Holy Spirit's feelings are not hurt. You know? Like why does Jesus get all the attention? That's 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 what they came up with. Like the Father, Son, Spirit formed the plan and formed the story and because there are because there is equality in that relationship and because there is holy love in that relationship where there's true equity and true equality whenever it's time for you to play your role and you play your role and you play your role you just go and do it because you're not threatened by the others you know you're not you're not feeling secondary there's no it's just like yeah we're here to do this thing together and we're each going to play our part And so the Holy Spirit is not sad that we sing songs with our fists in the air about Jesus and his victory, you know? That's a part of what he came here to do is to point us to him and who who Jesus is. The Father rejoices over the attention that the Son gets. And not that it's about attention. There's so many earthly constructs here that make it hard to understand the Trinity. So that's why we have to keep coming back to the fact that there is this this holiness, this love that is there, this purity that is there, this equality that is there. And so uh, anytime that their distinctions come in, it's not, it's just a non-issue. And what we try to do uh, in earthly terms is we try to like, well, let me find some earthly analogies to try to understand this heavenly reality, and it just doesn't work. Like people will try to explain the Trinity of like, oh, it's like an egg, you know, it's like this, you know, the yolk and the white part and the shell and, you know, or it's like a three leaf clover or like, you know, this and this and this. And like, there, there's nothing that's 100% thorough in teaching us this. He, God's just other. There's no shadow of creation that can point us back to this. And so here you and I are, we bear the image of this perfect community. When the image was distorted by sin, what, what, what happened to us? We started doing this, right? So it shows it right from the beginning. Adam and Eve, right here. Adam's blaming God. Adam's blaming Eve. Eve's blaming the snake. They're hiding in the trees. They're just doing this. Here's what happens. And Cain and Abel, that's what happens. It goes all through the Bible. This is what's happening. Jesus comes along and frees us from that bondage. And leads us into this process where he's teaching us that you're no different from you, or no different from you, from you, from you, from you, in terms of equality as the sons and daughters of God. That there's this, there's this beautiful playing field now that is completely level. 
and what you look like and what your gender is and where you're from and how you talk and what you do for a living and all these, none of those things do anything to change anything anymore. And so we go from like butting heads with each other and competing with one another to, to like stepping back a little bit and realizing that he's making us into the image of that triune God, into that kind of community, that kind of equal, holy, loving, like this is who we are kind of thing to where the goal is whenever it's time for you to play your role and you play your role and you play your role and I play my role, we're not competing with each other. We're not like, well, how come she gets to do that? How come he gets to do that? He's bringing us or he's freeing us from that. We're free from it. He's freeing us from it. And so whether whether we're talking about friendships or marriages or family structures or the church and how the church is put together, we have to remember we're made in the image of a community who knows how to do that whole thing, who knows how to do equity and equality, who knows how to be unified and loving and at the same time distinct and play different roles. He's bringing us closer and closer and closer to that point. And that was a little bit of a rant, but it's very, very important that we understand the, the beauty of the father-son-spirit relationship. Because as we break off and look at what the Holy Spirit is doing, to know that that's a part of how God put everything together. So, if the question that's if the question on the board is what is the Holy Spirit, first thing you do is you go up there and you cross out what, right? Who, right? So the Spirit's not an it. The Spirit is not a created. Uh, John Piper says the the Spirit is not an impersonal force. Holy Spirit is a person. So you, it's not what is the Holy Spirit. It's who is the Holy Spirit. The answer, short answer, God. That's the short answer. The longer answer, God, a member of the one God who eternally exists, is three distinct persons who are each fully and equally God. That's the longer answer. So, from this point forward, anytime someone says the Holy Spirit, God, right, that comes up. Now, when it comes to the role that the Father plays, and the role that the Spirit plays, and the role that the Son plays, I'll get into that a little bit more in the coming weeks, but let me just do like a general, like an umbrella idea under which all the other stuff that the Holy Spirit does uh, can fall. All right? Um, Turn, if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 1. And I have to say, I don't know if, is Phil Zito here? Okay. Okay. Phil preached on this like two years ago, and it's fantastic. And you should go listen to it on the podcast, two Sundays. And he sent me his notes, so I stole a lot of his stuff. And so uh, shout out to Phil. I appreciate all your work. It saved me a lot of time this week. Um, this is just like a sliver of what he brought to the table. He did a far better job than I than I could do, and you should definitely check that out. Um, the overarching role of the Holy Spirit um, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. First verse is this. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so that's a, that's a programmatic statement for everything that is to follow after that. And what that means is, in the beginning, God, Father, Son, Spirit, created the heavens and the earth. Uh, all three of them were there. All three of them were involved. Um, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay? Now, we don't know a ton about this in, in detail. Uh, but look how, the, look how the earth was described. Without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay? Um, one word, whenever you're reading commentaries on this, a word you, you see a lot is just chaos. There's no form. There's void here and there. Uh, there's completely dark. There's no, you know, there's like no light. Like it's, um, it's just this really uh, not good situation. Um, and so, where is God in this? Well, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's chaos. No form, there's void, there's darkness, unable to sustain life. So what does God do? He places himself right in the middle of it. Right? Right in the midst of it. Ready to do something. I want you to remember that. Spirit of God hovering over the chaos. If you were to look into the Hebrew word for spirit, you would find that uh, that Hebrew word is ruach. And um, it has a couple of different, it shows up a, a couple of different ways in the Bible. It shows, it's actually like 400 times in the Old Testament, ruach shows up. And it, it, it always is talking about really like one of, one of three things. It's either talking about breath or wind or spirit. Okay, so you'll see it translated into English as sometimes as breath and sometimes as wind, sometimes as spirit. So, like in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed, that's Ruach, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Okay, So Ruach, in part, is, is, is the, the, the breath of God bringing life into what was lifeless. Whenever, like here's an example of wind. In Exodus 14, it's time to cross the Red Sea. Um, 21 and 22 says this. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind, Ruach, all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Okay, so the 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 ruach of God, the the wind of God, the the power of God being able to push water back and hold hold it back like walls, so that Israel could cross on dry ground. Um, when in Psalm fifty one, verse ten says. David writes, create in, me to clean, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a okay, ruach, 
within me. Spirit meaning like a like like the the mindset, the thoughts, um, like give give me a new way of thinking. Okay, breath, wind, thoughts. None of those are material things, right? They're they're uh, there's a mystery to them, but they're but there's a strength to them as well. And so if we go back and we think about the chaos of the earth and, and the spirit of the Lord hovering over the chaos, what, what is hovering over the chaos? Well, the, the breath of God that gives life, the wind of God that, that has that divine power, the mindset, spirit of God, of the thoughts and the purpose that's about to roll out whenever he says, let there be light. And what, and what, what happens immediately? the chaos gets a little more ordered. When the life and the power and the mindset purposes of God enter into the chaos, things begin to shift. And then it enters into this incredible creation mode where everything goes from like chaos to more structure and more organized. And it goes, and then it eventually shifts until finally it's sustainable enough for him to put someone in the garden who bears his own image and that person can live. Only when he breathes the Ruach of life into him. And so, what is, the, what is the Spirit of God? What is, the, what is the, the Holy Spirit of God? Well, it's God's presence with his creation. Like that, God put himself right into the middle of his creation in order to bring order and purpose and by his power to create that sustainable environment for life to be there. And so we see from the very beginning of the Bible, and it's repeated all throughout the scriptures, that the priority of God is to be with his people and to make his presence a known thing, a manifested thing. And so for this second point, for us to go foundationally onto, the overarching role of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the presence of God actively connect to his creation. And when that happens, when when God hovers over the chaos and then begins to manifest his presence and to bring order, uh, that structure begins to follow. And what happens is what was dead becomes alive. And what was weak becomes powerful. And the the mind and the purpose of God enter into uh, those those parts of us that have been lost in the patterns of the world. God's wisdom begins to speak into that. That when the Spirit of God is hovering over our chaos and He begins to manifest His presence and 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 actively work among us, that's when we get direction and wisdom and understanding and conviction and correction. Uh, that's where salvation comes from. That's where love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That's when all of these things begin to show up because God is active among his creation because he's chosen to manifest his presence among us. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, is doing. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's his role. And everything else we'll talk about in greater detail falls under that idea as God's showing up in creation, in your life, in my life. 
in our church, in our community, in our families, in our homes. It's God, it's God showing up and being active. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shares the power of the Trinity with us. Think about that for a second. That, that power, who could say, let there be light, and out of nothing, light is created. Just to be able to speak into existence. That's some power right there, right? Like I, 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 there's, there are, um, there's a lot of creativity among us. There's a, lot of, uh, just, there's a lot of things among us. I don't know anyone who can just speak something out of nothing. A lot of you guys are good at making something out of stuff that already exists. But no one's no one just speaks something into it. Like that kind of power, like raise Jesus from the dead power. That the Father, Son, and Spirit said, We're not gonna just keep this to ourselves. We're we're gonna make that manifest among our kids. And so the Old Testament points to Jesus. Like, like doing what needed to be done in order to free us from that bondage. And then Jesus is like, look, I need to go because uh, you guys need some help. And you're not going to believe the kind of help you're about to get. And when the Spirit shows up, which we'll talk about next week, it got crazy. And it's never stopped being crazy, you know? The manifest presence of God is doing stuff and has done stuff and is, is in this moment doing things. You may not feel that way, you know, like in your own like person necessarily. But the Spirit of God is all over the planet in this moment, hovering over chaos and speaking order into it. And that might be exactly what you need to hear today, you know. Maybe not you, maybe it's someone that you know. That the same spirit hovering over those waters in Genesis 1 hovering, hovers over our messy little chaos, our weird lives that sometimes just seem like just like a dream, you know. That's what God does, that's who, that's who he is. That same spirit stands ready to involve himself in your chaos, in your formless, void, darkness, whatever. I'm not, I'm not looking at you and being like, you people are a wreck. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But I bet every one of us has something where you're like, I really just, I really need, I need, I need him to not just hover over it, I need him to enter into it. And what's beautiful is the Spirit's like, that's exactly what I'm here to do. Jesus said, that's, that's exactly what Jesus said. This is what he's going to do. He's going to enter into that. Will, will you let him? You know? will, you, will you invite him in to that? Maybe it's not even your own stuff. Maybe, maybe you're walking with someone and you're so burdened for what they're going through. Would you invite him into theirs? You don't even have to ask their permission. It's fine. Would you intercede for them and recognize that the, the, the Spirit of God wants to take the power of the Trinity and just unleash it into the lives around us?
wants to unleash it into this neighborhood. That even hopefully by the grace of God, by us hosting a fifth grade graduation at Twin Oaks in this building on Tuesday at two o'clock. That the spirit of God will be hovering over the waters in this room, you know, like this. I love it when theology stops becoming something that's like in a textbook. It feels really luxury and you get down to just how incredibly practical this is. To understand the father-son-spirit dynamic and how their entire heart is to love you with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. It's incredible. And so, who is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is God. What's he here to do? Manifest the full power of God and presence of God and the, and the breath of life of God and the mindset of God to, to take who God is and to bring that into our reality in every moment of every day forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So if you don't feel loved or important, if you feel forgotten about or whatever it may be, Pull, pull this in and like allow the spirit to enter into that weirdness. Because there's a ton of love that's communicated in these truths. And how it applies to your life, that's, that's something only you know. And so uh, that is yours to take and to steward. But... I gotta feel like there's some there's some chaos at least represented here this morning, um, and so we typically do this where we will sing afterwards to kind of process things. And um, of course, we're gonna sing the song of the Holy Spirit because why why wouldn't we, right? But I'd like us to to think about it through the lens that we've I've tried to present today, and I hope it's been clear and helpful. Um, to think about the spirit being present with us and welcoming him, like inviting him in to things, to know, to know that, that, that God's desire is to be with us and he has gone, uh, to such great lengths to make that, uh, to make that real for us that we would just grab onto it, you know? And so as we sing, I hope that those things can go through our minds and through our hearts. Um, so let's stand together. Let me pray for us and kind of segue us into a time of response. Father and Son and Spirit, um, we, we love you and are so grateful. Grateful that there is one God. Grateful for... For that, for the community that is, uh, the community we were created in the image of. We're so thankful for your love for one another, for the unity that is, the unity that is there, the, um, just the, the true, the true oneness that exists. And, um, I ask that you would continue just your very patient work. And transforming us into the kind of people who who live that kind of life interpersonally, that there would be no like rivalry among us, or uh, that we would not butt heads and be against one another, but w- that we would live uh, 
uh, in the true image of you who we were created, uh, who were created by and created for. And the, I'm sure in this room and those watching by live stream and the ones who are here at 830, there's a lot of stuff that we have going on in our lives. A lot of things running through our minds and through our hearts. God, I'm reminded that you uh, you care about every single one of those things. You care about the the great stuff going on in our lives, and you care about the burdens that we are trying to shoulder. And um, we don't we don't want to be um, the kind of of kids who go through this and act like we have to figure out our own way, but the kind who. Uh, rest and rejoice in the fact that you uh, you want to intervene, that you want to hover over the waters of our messy lives and enter into the chaos and to bring order to it. And I know that means different things for different people this morning. And thankfully, you're vast and huge enough to be able to meet us all right where we are. And so as we sing or pray or just just respond to what you are stirring in us this morning, um, I pray that we would be uh, just eager eager to receive your your presence and your activity among us. That our pride would not lead us to keep you at arm's length, but that in humility we would be open-handed and Rejoice with the fact that you want to help us and to walk with us.